It's the Arbor Observer Podcast. Justin Ferguson right here. Painter Sharpless over there. Hello, Painter. Howdy. Painter, we talk about this a lot on the podcast when we tell people about the Observer. We tell them two things. We tell them to tell tell your friends and tell your enemies. And we want to make sure that we are uh, practicing what we preach here because uh, we have an enemy on the podcast today. She is... Uh, analyst for Big Ten Network. Uh, she does stuff for Sirius XM as well. She is the owner of the world's cutest dog, Red, and uh, she works at a startup uh, of some kind called The Athletic. Great friend of the program for for real, and uh, and an inner circle member herself, Nicole Arbach, has joined us. Hello, Nicole. Hello. Um, I would like to say <laughs> that I think I count as both a friend and an enemy, so... Yes. <laughs> which which is different than frenemies because I think that like oscillating between the two extremes is more interesting. Yes, I think that's I, I think that's our relationship for sure. Um, you get I mean, I think the enemy relationship here is between me and you. I, I from from what I remember the the relationship between you and Painter it's it's a very cordial friendship. I I, I can remember from the radio days. I don't think Painter's done anything to upset you in the past. <laughs> You know, by, by the time we finish this podcast, I'm sure he will. <laughs> Banner, you've got a challenge. All right, there, there's your challenge. We, we're trying to get, we're trying to get you to talk more, and then the, uh, the second uh, challenge is to, uh, is to upset Nicole, which will make my day. Uh, Nicole, we brought you on. We've been wanting to have you on for a while now, um, and this is really perfect timing because uh, this is the last uh, podcast that will go up for us before July the first, and that's a big deal. Uh, for a number of reasons, uh, most importantly, name, image, and likeness. Now, you have been on top of NIL stuff, NCAA stuff, playoff stuff. Uh, really, I mean, not not just saying this because you're on the podcast right now, but I, I think better than anybody else has been doing it uh, in, in this industry. Um, so we've got a lot to discuss, and uh, we also want to talk with you about uh, you know Auburn football and Brian Harson and, and the start of the new era there. But I guess I'm going to start with something really simple uh, that might, you know, contain a long and drawn out answer because uh, there's a lot of moving parts here. But Nicole, July the first, when July the first hits, and in the state of Alabama they have a state law, and I know there's been some other things that are going around trying to make sure there's some sort of blanket for uh, other states. What is nece- What is exactly going to happen uh, in college athletics when when this kicks in on July the first? Well, you'll probably see some announcements. I I would think that some of the athletes that have, you know, endorsements and sponsorships or want to sell merch uh, will announce that they're going to do it because they will be allowed to as of July 1. Um, I think you're also going to probably see it in more subtle ways without announcements. Like if anyone follows fitness influencers or beauty influencers, fashion Mm -hmm. bloggers, whatever, like we're used to the swipe ups, you're used to the you know, tagging the sponsored brand in a post. Um, so it's it's going to look like that. It's I, I think so much has been overblown and, and there's been some fear mongering around all of this. It's not going to affect everyone. It's going to affect athletes who, you know, are going to want to put time and energy into this and mm. spend time on it. I mean, like you're going to see some YouTube channels that people are going to put a lot of effort into, like day in the life stuff. Um, you know, there's there's already some... Like there was a there was a Columbia long snapper who was a magician. Like he could have yeah. done like a YouTube page and gotten you know paid ads or whatever. Like it's gonna look different for a lot of different people. It could be walk-ons who have a lot of time on their hands and want to make you know a YouTube channel day in the life of being an athlete. It could be the star quarterback at Auburn. 
doing, you know, a, a local, um, you know, a local restaurant chain wants to sponsor me. It, it's going to look like a lot of different things, but it will finally start as on July 1. Um, the states that have state NIL laws will be, you know, those athletes will be following the letter of the law in those places. And mm-hmm. then everyone else, you know, it's, schools are going to have to set their own policies and kind of write it out. It, it's going to be a little messy. Some people are going to make more money than others, but, I, you know, it's not going to be the end of the world. So one of the things we saw around here um, in the last couple of weeks, uh, this is mainly on Instagram, and I saw it some on Twitter as well. Uh, these these football players and other athletes at, at Auburn, but football players is the one I saw it the most with. They like posted this thing where you know it was it was a, kind of a wall of text, and it was like, hey, on July first, we're going to start you know being able to you know have endorsements and, and stuff like that with NIL, and so um, you know if anyone's interested in reaching out just you know let me know one of those kind of things and i think i saw like most of the football players i follow on instagram and twitter uh, post something along those lines um is it going to be as simple as that like being able to kind of line it up where you know somebody you know a company say on instagram when you were talking about influencers and stuff like that when they like kind of slide in your dms you can kind of work out something and, and go from there or with the fact that it is the NCAA and it is college athletics and there is, you know, a good deal of oversight involved in this, is it going to be a lot more complicated than that? Well, you know, I think the NCAA would have liked it to be more complicated. There was mm-hmm. originally, in their original legislation, they were going to have like a third-party administrator kind of verifying different things. But I think it's more going to be closer to an honor system where – you know, athletes are going to be expected to kind of self-report and, and keep tabs on different things because also they're going to have to, you know, do taxes on this stuff. So, you know, they are, are going to have to monitor it. But like if you go to a restaurant and the restaurant owner decides to comp you guys, if you you know post about being there, like, you know, that's it's kind of hard to self-police. That's hard, kind of hard to like right. report ahead of time or tell people like some of the state laws um, and some of the language will probably be like, oh, you need to alert your school ahead of time. Like, it's it's not going to always happen. But I, I think it is going to happen with sliding into DMs. You know, I, I think about the fact that every single player on every college roster has a hometown. And I think about that in terms mm. of, like, if you have a local gym and that's where you worked out in high school, like, what if they said, hey, we'll give you 500 bucks if you just, like, post about us or want to wear this T-shirt or protein powder or whatever? Like, there's going to be opportunity. Like, it's not going to, you know, these things aren't going to, like, steal headlines because it's not going to be like, ooh, $15,000 deal, um, you know, to endorse a car dealership or something. But, like, it's going to, you know, put some money in people's pockets. But, like, everyone has a hometown that has special places. Um, or maybe you're the first Division One player in a long time to come out of there or you were, you know, a, you know, a, maybe even a different sport. Like, you were a track star also in high school. Something like that. Like, there will be opportunities for athletes if they want them. And it could be the offensive lineman. It could be the backup tight end. Like everyone's from somewhere. So you basically have your hometowns, you have your college towns, um, and and you have really wherever else you're connected to of people that might want to partner with you. But I do think a lot of it's going to look like sliding into DMs or, you know, restaurants around town asking guys to to come over and and promote them and, and, you know, create a deal. Yeah. We, we talked about it, I know, back when we had a radio show, and this was like the f- first of when, you know, NIL was starting to really crank into, in, into you know, what, we've, what we're hearing and what we're about to see here on July the 1st. Um, I remember talking to you, we, talk, we talked to you about, um, 
you know, social media presences and like the, the athletes that have them uh, compared to maybe some other sports. And we focus primarily on this show on, and on what we do at the observer on football, and men's basketball, of course. But one of the things that has been striking to me in this, and I don't think it's getting quite as talked about enough is the amount of, uh, women's athletes and also, you know, non-revenue male athletes will be able to take advantage of this because I think there's a you know, perception it's just going to be football and, and maybe basketball in, in certain places. I think about how uh, this weekend we're in this process right now and, and Suni Lee, uh, who is supposed to be coming to Auburn after she probably makes the Olympics team as the second best gymnast in the world behind Simone Biles, um, what her platform is going to look like and what NIL might mean for a gymnast or, or, you know, some of these other sports. Is that something that I don't, that you think has been kind of under discussed in this whole process that football and basketball drive everything, but yet this is something that the way it's written and the way it's going to be put out that can benefit a lot of other uh, athletes uh, across, you know, college athletics. Yeah. I I've been trying to get that point across too. I mean, I think there's a, there's a big market for athletes like that. Gymnastics has an insane dedicated audience. Like Mm -hmm. if you see some of these, you know, really well-known college gymnasts, um, you know, they have, they have so many followers. They volleyball can be like that. Women's basketball can be like that. Um, you know, Paige Beckers, Caitlin Clark, like there's, there's already some very young women's college basketball stars that are going to really cash in on this. But yeah, you're right about like male athletes and non-revenue sports. Again, it just depends on what you do to build your brand and also like what audience there might be in your sport. Because like, I don't know if, if com, you know, regular sports fans understand like the gym turn at, I think is how you say it. Like it's like the gymnastics (laughs) audiences. It's, it's huge. And like, that is something that people aren't thinking about when they're like, oh, it's just going to be the Alabama quarterback, you know, cashing in on this. No, like it's going to be a lot of these, um, a lot of female athletes and a lot of athletes in other sports that have just really dedicated audiences. And also like every, every sport has equipment, has, again, I I keep thinking of fitness influencers. Like they all Mm -hmm. hawk all these different like protein powders. They, you know, sweatbands, wristbands, t-shirts, like all these different brands like are, want to partner with these people. And they're not even tied to schools they're not even tied to like you know a built-in fan base right and so like there's gonna be a lot of opportunities around stuff like that in every single sport because they're athletes there's just a lot of products that they use and again restaurants like local businesses anything like that people are going to want to get involved but i just think that you know it's helpful sometimes to to look at some of those lists about like the largest followings in college sports because there's always like volleyball and gymnastics play you know athletes on there and and they have like huge 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 followings and they're gonna have a big opportunity like in football not everyone's gonna be trevor lawrence who like the day that i just remember like leading into the draft his feed was basically just like a preview of nil because it was like i'm partnered with gatorade now i'm partnered with this brand i have Bose, you know blah 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 it was just like a list of all of his endorsements not everyone's going to have like that top of the line. Like those brands may not jump into this right away, but people will have something. They will have opportunities like that. And then, you know, if you have someone like I imagine I was the example I always said was like Trevor Lawrence and like Pantene. If he had done like a, you know, a, a deal with, you know, a, a commercial or whatever for shampoo, like that would have that would have killed it. Like that would have been like the perfect partnership because everyone knew him and everyone knew him and they knew his hair and they knew it was great. 
Um, but not everyone's going to be like of that standard still, like that's what it's going to look like when his feed was, was just kind of like announcing different partnerships and some had commercials, some were kind of like a poster board image type. That's what this is going to look like. What do you think kind of big picture wise NIL is going to do if at all about kind of the power structure in college football specifically. And I mean that by like, um, you know, I think a lot of people have been asking questions about it is that is NIL one of those things where um, some schools are going to be able to take advantage of it and might be able to like swing, you know, better recruits because of it, open themselves up to get, you know, different kinds of kinds of guys that come in. Or do you think it's just going to be a case of the rich getting richer? I know there's a lot of, you know, a lot to be said of like, what is this going to look like? And we won't know until it actually happens. But from your perspective, like when you see NIL, how do you think that's going to impact college football, if at all, in what happens on the field? And and I guess recruiting is kind of the biggest way people have been uh, asking about that. Yeah, I I think you've heard a lot of coaches who've been paranoid about this right and and mm. just the differences in the laws or the rules like is someone gonna you know find a loophole and take advantage of something right like okay we'll we'll see about that I, I do think you know everyone's kind of gotten plans we've seen a lot of announcements of like partners that you know companies like open doors influencer like p- p- companies that schools are partnering with for education and then also like just to help them build their brands with um, you know, a database of, of images and, and different strategies for social media, and they can track impressions and different things like that. So you're seeing the very public acknowledgement of, hey, we're going to help you do this. Because I think if, if certain schools, you know, end up being pretty good at this and, and positioning their athletes well, you know, either that they were able to cash in while in school, but then also like had pretty strong brands and platforms as they left and went into whatever industry that they go into, I could see future recruits saying like, oh, look at how well they prepare their their players. Oh, look at how well they like kind of set them up for this stuff. I could see that impacting something. Like if you saw, if you were a star quarterback and you saw the star quarterback at Auburn, um, you know, have some really amazing opportunities, um, you know, and, and you know, they, they were successful. I would think that would possibly play into it. But what I, I think ultimately, it's going to take a few years of data to figure this out. But my, my theory on all of this is that the schools in markets without pro sports um, and not in cities are the ones that are going to be the best opportunities sneakily. Mm-hmm. I think right now everyone keeps being like, oh, yeah, like USC and UCLA, like LA, blah, blah, blah. Well, there's also a million other things that people can put endorsement right. money into. Yeah. Whereas if you're in Nebraska and you're the you're the only show in town, and everyone's obsessed with you, and also knows your roster really deep. So maybe maybe the second stringers have some opportunities that they mm-hmm. wouldn't have everywhere else. Like to me, that's going to be a big opportunity. So again, I don't know what the differences are going to look like, how dramatic they'll be, but I do think it'll take a couple years to see. But I would be surprised if it's not the programs that really aren't competing with pro sports or the beaches or like whatever entertainment, what other you know industries there are. Because I think that you'll see more money flow directly to the athletes because they're the biggest deal. They're, you know, it's big fish, small pond, right? That type of sentiment. That's where you know they're they're gonna they're gonna put the money because that's where the eyeballs are in in those areas in those states. So that's what my prediction. Um, but again, we'll we'll need to see a few years of data about mm-hmm. how that all shakes out. But like, I'd rather be. For this, you know, I'd rather be a quarterback at, at Nebraska versus like a quarterback at the University of Miami where there's a million other things that people might be, mm. you know, wanting to endorse. 
It's my opinion that athletes inherently know their worth and value to a team, and in this case, perhaps the market to earn money. Do you have an opinion about why it might be misguided to be concerned about some athletes earning more than others? Well, I think it's 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 everything. Like it's 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 work. It's any type of job. I mean, not everyone in an office makes the same amount of money, right? So I think some of this language about you know it's going to destroy locker rooms if someone's making more money. Like first of all, people you know start over other players and get more playing time than other players. Like all of these dynamics already exist. Um, and, and I think that, again, in the real world, people make different amounts of money and work in the same office, work in the same um, part of the office, right? Like all these things already happen and it's how the world works that I'm not sure it changes any of that. And, and I think everyone does understand you don't you know, you're not going to be, you know, an offensive you know right guard and think that you are as high profile as the starting quarterback. Like everyone understands these things, as you just said, everyone knows their value to the football team. And there's different ways to be valuable than just, you know, what the dollar figure is that's going to be, you know, associated with this. And again, I think that there's going to be opportunities for athletes who are not starters or not, you know, whatever. I always think of, I always think of Mark Titus. So he was a walk-on at Ohio State, club trillion, right? For like you get in one minute and you get zero stats because you're playing garbage time. He built himself a brand and became incredibly marketable without playing. Like the people that put in effort and, you know, like again, now the example would be like a YouTube channel. There will be walk-ons. There will be guys who play very little. There will be specialists who are, you know, who are doing these things, putting time and energy into things, and will have opportunities that aren't necessarily like, oh, you're the most important player on the team, so you should get X amount of dollars. Like, it's going to look a little different, and it is going to take time and energy. So, you know, I mean, like, some of that will work itself out. Um, but But I don't think the idea of, like, what's fair or everyone should get the same amount is really the important thing here because if you believe that then you should probably support the idea of college football players unionizing and getting mm. part of revenue sharing right if, you, if you're saying everybody should get the same or it's going to mess everything up otherwise it's capitalism and it's how everything works in you know professional society in every office in america right yeah for sure uh, moving on from NIL and another big thing that's been going on right now uh, in college football is, of course, the playoff. And you have been, um, you know, on top of a lot of the changes and a lot of the, the proposed changes and the timelines of uh, this college football playoff expansion or you know, whenever it may or may not happen. You know, we're recording this over the weekend and it will come out, you know, the midweek, so stuff can change in the next couple of days. But Right now, where are we kind of at with the process of expanding to 12 teams? And I think more importantly for a lot of fans, what when this might happen? Because I think there's been some mixed messaging there. Right. So that's the biggest question. And it's the question I've gotten the most since they officially put out that 12-team detailed proposal was, mm-hmm. okay, so when? And to me, that would have been a really good thing to have buttoned up before you (laughs) announce this, because they seem very focused on not having anything leak about the preferred format that they were going to recommend instead of like 
again, figuring all this out. So, you know, I was in Dallas, uh, the CFP Board of Managers meeting, and I asked the, the chair of that group, which is Mississippi State President Mark Keenum, I said, like, you know, should the working group have figured out, like, talk to Bowles, talk to ESPN, like, figured out some of the stuff that you guys are now about to be hung up on, you know, to, to figure this out when they were going through, you know, what model they thought would work best. And, you know, he said that that wasn't what they were tasked with. They weren't they, that that wasn't what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to literally just look at formats and what they thought worked, go through four, six, eight, 10, 12, 16, etc. I would have done this differently. I would have figured this out so you can announce it. And they're hoping that in the next few months that they can figure that out because they have there, there's more than it's 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 many different contracts with different bowls. Um, it's not all under one umbrella, one deal. Mm-hmm. And you also have different contracts with the venues that are hosting national championship games for the next three years. Those are locked in dates um, and, you know, sites, obviously. And then obviously ESPN. So if you renegotiate and do this before 2026, you have to do it with ESPN because they're the exclusive partner. If you can drag it out, then you can take it to an open market and get Fox and CBS involved. Maybe people host you know, or um, some of the networks have deals for certain rounds, like the NFL, you know, there's different networks. Like there would be ways to make, you know, potentially a lot more money. So again, all of this is fine. These are legitimate reasons, but I think they should have had some of these conversations, had a sense of it before announcing, because you're putting yourself, and listen, there's a lot of people, including my colleague at The Athletic, Andy Staples, who are like, it's going to be 2023. Like, it's fine. ESPN will make this happen. They're going to, it's very valuable to them. They will, you know, find a dollar figure that'll work. But A, you could have done that before you announce this thing. But Mm -hmm. B, like, the possibility existing that you would have a detailed model announced in the summer of 2021 and then wait five years to implement it would be the most college football thing ever and also (laughs) incredibly frustrating. So, like, the fact that that is a possibility is a problem. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the things that that stood out to me is, like, last week you would hear, um, like, for a bit, one of the bigger examples was, I think, for us that – Greg Sankey was on Feinbaum last Friday, and one of the things he kept saying over and over again was like, hey, we could go back to four, or hey, it might not be until 2026. And it's like, if they're already pushing that out there right yeah. now, mm-hmm. is that more, Is that more? do you think, of just cautioning people so, you know, in case it happens, or it's like, hey, yeah, that's probably how this is going to gonna end up going down? So I, I think it's, it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, if you're the CFP and you're – you know, heading into conversations about this stuff and potentially like trying to renegotiate, um, saying, eh, we're not in a rush. Like, you know, like we have all the leverage. We could wait this out um, and open this up, like probably helps your case. But also I do think they're trying to reset expectations, which again, they they knew how people were going to react when they put out a 12 team model and say, this is the recommendation. And by the way, like it addresses all the major issues. It's a good model. Yeah. yeah. So they knew people were going to be excited about it. And then two weeks later to try to walk that back and be like, but we don't know how soon this, ca-. That, that's where my issue was. You should have buttoned this stuff up on the front end because this is going to look all the goodwill you just generated because people have been tired of the same teams doing the four team thing every year is going to go away. If you continue to try to slow play this. And also you're telling us, Oh, we have so many different contracts, which again is true, but 
Everyone also knows that if all sides are motivated to renegotiate or rip up a contract, you do it in any business. So like yeah. we know it's possible if they really wanted to do this. So again, it's it's sort of like, you know, for them to come out and say there's a lot of legal issues, there's a lot of contracts, like this may not happen until 2026. Then why did you do this now? Why did you announce it? Why did you want the fanfare now? Like, I don't think that's going to help people who see Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State in this for the next five years to know that someday it's going to change. Like, I would also hope what we've learned from this is that your next round of contracts are hopefully shorter than a 12-year deal. Because even if some of these oh, yeah. side effects of the access and, like, people being disengaged with, you know, the Pac-12 or half the country in November, like – if this had been a six-year deal, this would have been fixed by now. And we already identified all those those intended and unintended side effects by that point. So, like, hopefully it's a shorter contract the next go-around, too. So, my biggest issue with this whole format, which I like. I, I like the 12-team. I like um, the mix of at-large bids and, and champions. I like the group of five having a seat at the table. I think our... our, our uh, our friend uh, Chris Vanini did a great job of, of writing recently about how, like, maybe the group of five title kind of goes away, um, you know, once once this happens. There's a lot of really good parts about it. The one thing I can't figure out, and you get paid to listen to the people and ask questions to the people who are trying to make this make sense, so it's why I wanted to ask you this specifically, is the whole thing of the first round being on campus sites and then the second round not being like quarterfinals not being on on campus meaning teams that get a buy in this playoff would not get to have a home game yet teams five it would be like five through eight would like why is this the case why are they so dead set on this and and like you know what's the defense what is what is what are they trying to say is like okay we're doing this because of this Okay, so uh, let's start at that, that last question. So what they're mm-hmm. going to say here is, first of all, and you've heard this in the way that they talk about this, they're always talking about their bowl relationships and this tradition of the sport. And it, it's in a little bit of a different place than it was in 2012 when they created the playoff in the first place because that was like, you know, you really you saw so many conscious efforts about the bowls and there weren't opt-outs and stuff at that point yet. Um, they've definitely been diminished in the last nine years, but I will still say there's still a lot of relationships and history with a lot of these places. Obviously, the Rose Bowl is kind of the the um, the obvious you know sticking point here, and you know the Pac-12 and the and the Big Ten are going to fight for that and for them to be involved in this. But I think again, let's look at this realistically. If you're trying to do this for 2023 or 2024, let's say. Right now, all those bowls have contracts with the CFP through 2026. So if you're asking them to come to the table and, and rip them up, how are you going to get them to agree to that if you're saying, nope, actually, you're not going to be involved in this? Like, you're going to be less involved. So, so that's part of the reason that they are involved when they are. And if you talk to the different commissioners about this element, they will say that people say that your season – you know, it, it's it's a natural piece of college football. You go to a neutral site, you spend a few days somewhere, and that's how your season ends. Like it's they they would say it's going to be weird for the teams that lose those first round games 
to just have their season end. They're not going to play in bowl games, right? So, like, I understand that sentiment of, like, kind of the process and the procedure of, like, the end of the season. You go somewhere and you play your game. Like, you get up for that. Like, that's what you do. Um, And it's, like, a reward for the success that you had that year, whatever. Like, this is what people will tell you. So, it's it's some of that stuff. I, I think probably some coaches would it would be mixed on whether or not they'd rather play at home or go somewhere and have less distractions and put their team in a hotel and you know mm-hmm. be in the middle of nowhere or whatever, versus you know the home crowd atmosphere and things like that. I do wonder if this becomes more of a sticking point. I mean, I think the idea of kind of not getting a home game and all the excitement that that could create and you know the boost for local businesses and things could end up being a, a, a very real thing and a talking point. Um, but it's also possible that this is, again, ultimately a transition. And then you see what happens if those those games are such a big hit. Maybe they do change it in the next, you know, when they then expand or, you know, then they evolve in the next evolution. And they add more campus games, right? Like, it's possible this isn't the be-all, end-all, and it's just kind of giving fans a taste of what they want. Um, but certainly they're arguing that when you're adding games, it's more of an advantage for the top four teams to have a buy because if you think about it, they'll all be playing conference championship games too. So you're trying to offset that versus the benefit of a home game. And and that's where I think like Notre Dame, everyone made such a big deal about Notre Dame, not, you know, be, you know, being able to be a top four seed, um, and, and not getting a buy, but like they're in that group now that will get to host home games and yep. they don't have to play. They're not playing in a conference championship game. So like, they're not really adding a game and they'll get to host if they're in that five to eight range. So like, I don't think it's bad for Notre Dame because they're going to make this thing all the time. But also I can see the argument for the top four. When you're looking at wear and tear, if you're an Alabama or Clemson player and you're going to be in this all the time, you're going to play in this multiple rounds, multiple years that buy might matter. So, like, I, I don't know. I see both sides of it, and, and these are the things that, you know, the people in the room are having the same conversations we are mm-hmm. about this stuff as well. One of the things we talk about on the show is how much Painter uh, wants to have uh, a job where he doesn't have to do a ton uh, <laughs> but can get a lot of attention and money for it. Can you use your connections to help him get a job as, as with, with one of these bowls? Because I think they're the most powerful people in the world that just sit in press boxes. I, 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 they, they have so much sway on here, but yet we just see them just pop up and, and sit and watch a few games a year. And what is the best job I could get there? What thing could I do to make a year's worth of money in one week? I mean, it's probably that. Um, you only put on the the event once a year, and the rest of the year you just kind of like pick games and go to them. You know, like I, it's probably that. I also feel like you would enjoy, despite the stress of like a selection committee job. I think you would enjoy that too. I mean, that's isn't only that like stressful? You... I mean, it seems like every year they're just like, well, you know, this seems good this year. Well, yes, so fair. But you could also, like, A, you have to fly to Dallas every week for, like, six weeks. But that's, like, it. You know, I think that would not be a bad job either. Uh, I could handle a little flight to Dallas. That seems pretty great. (laughs) I could handle that for sure. All right, well, if you'll put in a good word for me, I would greatly appreciate it. Because I've been sandbagging Ferg, and I've got some more, uh, I've got some time on my hands. Uh, I I think it's, I think the bowl executive thing is, is, is the path for you. Yeah, we'll just we'll figure out, Painter. We'll figure out what what the best bowl will be for you for for that. Um, moving on to 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 our next topic, uh, 
Nicole, you, as I mentioned earlier, you write for this website called The Athletic. Uh, it's, a, it's a fairly <laughs> new thing. I, I've, uh, I've yet to look into it very much. But one of the things you did uh, here this offseason at, at The Athletic is that you did the preview, the season preview, on uh, on Auburn and, and Brian Harson in his first, uh, his first season on the Plains. I know um, you have interviewed and you've talked to, to Harson in the past when he was at Boise State. Um, I know this was a hire that took a lot of people in the industry by surprise. Getting to talk to the coaching staff and kind of knowing what you know about Harson and and and, and you know what they're bringing to the table. Uh, just I, I wanted to get your thoughts just generally on what you think Brian Harson is bringing to Auburn and kind of what do you think he's capable of doing? Seeing you know it's it's a big change from what he had at Boise State. Yeah, I I I, I was one of the people who was pretty surprised by it because it's just an interesting jump um I do think a lot of people make a lot out of not coaching in the SEC and having talked to you know another assistant coach because part of the state of the program series is like kind of a an anonymous scouting report a little bit right um I I asked about that and like how much should be made of that or or hiring Mike Bobo and Derek Mason their experience and I thought the assistant that I was talking to put it really well about how you know, it's it, you'll, you'll figure it out very quickly. Um, you know, everyone's mm. good. And the the length and the speed in the front seven is probably the, the biggest adjustment because, you know, maybe there's one or two pro level guys um, or, you know, guys who are who are just, you know, athletic marvels in other leagues. But every team has them in the SEC, even the Mississippi States of the world. Right. Everyone has great talent and so that's where it is where like he was basically saying you can do everything right on a play and still you know it's still it'll still be you know a loss and that's the adjustment but coaches figure that out like that's just something that you you will deal with um and obviously also you had you know Brian Harson had experience at Texas and you know it's not that different in terms of like what's at stake Right. Boise is an interesting place Boise you know it there is there the the Chris Peterson pipeline there like it's a very interesting place and and you've heard the coaches there talk about things a little bit differently than everyone else because when you have like again they talk about their culture and I think culture ends up being a catch-all for a lot of things but they the Boise State culture was very ingrained it was very clear um and they just it, it worked right it worked there the things they were doing the type of recruiting they were doing like it's gonna be different here but I think, you know, and you've probably, you know, I know, you know, Justin, we've texted about this, but like, I think that Brian Harson can be really interesting to talk to about stuff and the way he thinks about mm, stuff yeah. and explains yeah. and, and talks about football, right? So I, I think there's some real possibility here because like, I do think he, he's made some good hires and, and so much of success is basically how you hire your staff, but also like communicating. I think that one of the things we all overlooked when Mac Brown went back to North Carolina, everyone's like, oh my God, he's been out of coaching for so long. That was yeah. also the off season. Les Miles came back too, right? So everyone's grouping them together. But like everyone who has ever worked with Mac Brown said he's an amazing communicator. And like you see that, how they're recruiting so well, the staff he was able to hire, where he lured people away from to work for him after not coaching for five years or whatever it was. Right, so that type of thing does end up mattering. Um, I just think Auburn's a really hard job, so I, I'm curious yeah. to see how it goes. I'm curious, you know, how much 
of a leash the fan base gives him um, and where you'll see his footprints in year one. Um, but I, you know, I, I just think it's a really hard job to constantly, it's, it's, it's a hard, there's a couple programs right now that are measured against Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State in their own divisions. And there's just like, there's not much you can do to actually yeah. close that gap at the very top. So it's just an impossible situation. And like, I, I respect Brian Harson for making a jump to a league he hadn't coached in and being willing to take that on kind of sight unseen when you do have a really good thing going, even though obviously like, he, he didn't want Boise state to be in the mountain West. Like there was, there was some friction there about like where they were in college football, but I still respect the, um, the risk that he took in taking this job. I, I assume you are lumping uh, your alma mater uh, into that kind of group with yes. Auburn where it's like, yeah, you, when he, you know, for those of you who don't know, Nicole went to Michigan. Um, that's the, that's another one. I think that's Michigan and kind of Penn state to an extent. I think those are the only kind of programs that you can really kind of compare what they're doing right now to the situation that Auburn's in. And the fact that you're constantly being compared to Goliath and, and you know, it's just, yep. Auburn has been able to beat Goliath a few times recently because of Auburn being Auburn. Michigan just, I mean, Michigan just tries to play these guys straight up and it just, it's just not working right now. You know, again, I think in a different era, Jim Harbaugh beats Ohio State a couple of times. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah. you have this, you're in this phase. They need a Michigan Jesus. They need a Michigan Jesus. <laughs> yes. And like Auburn could, has an Auburn Jesus. Yes. They could really use that for a couple of those finishes, especially that the uh, JT Barrett one. Oh, that's yeah. where that's where Auburn Jesus would have would have stepped in. Um, but it's <laughs> for sure. But it's it's that same thing, right? So it's like you know, obviously you're getting you know a similar caliber player, but you're not getting as many. Um, the development isn't quite as you know there as as it is at Ohio State um and that program is just at such an elite level there, there's just very few I mean even Oklahoma right we see that gap every year the reason yeah. they haven't won anything in the playoff right so there's like three programs that have really done anything in this era and no one can close that gap they, there's a bunch of teams that we could put in that group below them but there's still a huge gap and so then you're talking about like the teams that can't when you're in the same division it just becomes such a difficult situation because you can't get to the you know your league championship game without beating them and and right now in a four-team playoff, you can't get to the playoff. So it's it it, it creates a really frustrating situation for fans. Um, and I think that that's, one, again, one of the side effects of this playoff era has been the way that we talk about success and defining success in a season has really shifted. It doesn't – people aren't really happy with, like, a 10-win season – and a pretty good bowl game anymore if you missed out on the playoff. A lot of fans, too many fan bases are comparing themselves to Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. Auburn fans, of course, fall prey to this because all you can do is stare at what Nick Saban has done for the last decade and a half and be in awe of the consistent dominance. Why should they or should they not believe that things will be different with Brian Harson? Well, I, I think we're going to see, right? And I think there's certain benchmarks you can tell in a first year and, and, you know, then a full recruiting class about the direction that, you know, you're going, right? Your emphasis in recruiting, if you're recruiting a different type of athlete or, you know, even like a size and, and, you know, just kind of like a build profile for different athletes. I mean, that's one of the reasons our friend 
Colton Pouncey at Michigan State, you know, he's got a couple different bits, and one of them is how tall are the players? Because Mel Tucker <laughs> is recruiting a certain build that is very different, right? And so it's a very noticeable thing for the fan base to see the evolution of the roster that way. So, you know, you're going to get more data um, from Brian Harson in, in that sense. I think, you know, obviously, you know, we're, we're all very curious to see offensively if, if, you know, they can be more reliable, more consistent. I think, you know, we, we obviously see the talent on the defensive side. Um, and, and he's not inheriting – this is not, you know, an empty cupboard. So the expectations right. are going to be pretty, pretty high for year one. But I think in terms of, like, figuring out what would be different, you know, if it was still Gus and also, you know, again, tweaks to the offensive system, if Bo can be more reliable, you know, if he can play better on the road, right? Like some of the things that have been – main talking points, main sources of frustration for the last two years. Like, you got to see if you can take steps in those areas. Because obviously, you know, this is a roster you're inheriting. These are players you're trying to win over and get to buy in. So you can also sort of tell that. You can tell when a team is playing for their coach, right? So, like, it's going to be little things, um, more so than, like, I think a win total. Um, And again, recruiting and trends and behavior and things like that. But yeah, it's going to be, you know, the first time that they get punched in the mouth. How do they respond? How do they, how do they, um, you know, play for these coaches? How does the offense look different? I I think, you know, some of the positional changes, which were in the state of the program are going to be interesting to see how those unfold, but it's, 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 it's going to have to look for details like that. Cause I think you're going to, and you guys know this, you're going to have to figure out some of those benchmarks, um, it's also especially hard when you do inherit a lot of talent um, because, you know, maybe anyone could coach his team to X amount of wins, right? But you're, you're going to have to look for those specific benchmarks where you can tell with a coaching transition. Um, and again, a lot of this stuff, it, it shows up more in year two. But I think I think we'll see some, especially offensively, um, you know, with, with, with year one. What are you most excited about in Harson's era? Because I think, any Auburn fan is simply excited for change. But as someone who has no real tie or motivation to support Auburn, is there something that you're going, all right, this will be interesting. I want to see X, Y, and Z. Well, I want to see him um, get to experience his first, like, you know, sighting of the eagle flying around before the game. That'll be fun. Um, I'm actually pretty pumped for the Auburn-Penn State game. I think it's rare, and hopefully we'll get more of these in an expanded playoff era. Um, to see programs like that, like these are programs we're talking about, right? That both have that, you know, kind of program that they're measuring themselves against. They can't get over the hump. Um, but I love that they're playing each other. I love that it's on campus. Um, I think it's, I assume it's going to be a whiteout game. Like that's just an awesome environment and it's really early, right? For brand new coach, um, you know, to walk into that, that's one, that and an LSU night game are the two best experiences, Mm -hmm. um, that I've ever experienced as a college, uh, football writer. So I think that's going to be really fun and also pretty telling, right? Because this is the same sort of situation. You talk about the idea for change and that being exciting to fans. Penn State is in that boat, right? Where it's a little bit uncomfortable because you've had the same coach for, for a long time and you've had the same sort of frustrations for a long time. So it's that, I think, creates a very interesting dynamic of how you handle that and, and who ends up coming out of that game, you know, winning that game and how they win it. Because it's sort of like you're going up against kind of what you just took over for, right? You know, just kind of a simmering frustration. You know, you're never having a bad season, but you're, you're, you're making the same, you know, it's the same issues each year that you're frustrated about. Um, and, and you're, you know, you're trying to get over that hump. So it's, it's kind of an interesting 
matchup from that sense. And then also just a very hostile environment against, you know, a talented team. We'll see how that, you know, how they handle it. It's a really good early indication of how the rest of the season is going to go. Nicole, I don't know if you have seen what Auburn's schedule looks like this year, but I want to go ahead and, and put this in your head. Um, one of the things you're really known for doing besides reporting on the, the, big, the biggest stuff on college athletics at the highest level um, is the stories of fans, kind of like the, the, the meme kind of stories. And you had one a few years ago, or a couple years ago, uh, with the, uh, the ladies getting stuck in the hedges after the 2019 mm-hmm. Iron Bowl. Um, Auburn is it's 2021 Auburn has a home game against Alabama this year and Alabama I mean Auburn has a home game against Georgia this year so all I can say is you might have something some sort of meme to write about because I think Auburn fans Painter maybe be able to back me up on this one Auburn fans are going to be extra juiced for this season (laughs) uh that there's no telling what you're going to be able to see on the cameras well, well, it's perfect because also, you know, not having fans or having reduced capacity really limited the opportunity for viral fans last year. So I am just excited. I hope people are as expressive as they have ever been at these games. Nicole, we know you, you got to run out here real quick, but before you go, uh, just want to give you an opportunity to uh, shout out everything you're doing and uh, where people can uh, listen, read, follow you, all that good stuff, because uh, you, uh, you you have a lot going on, uh, Steve, even in the off season. Yeah, so been writing a bunch on The Athletic, um, also do a podcast over there called Power Hour. Um, I am hosting all over SiriusXM on various channels. ESPNU um, and also ACC Big Ten channels and um, yeah Big Ten Network in the fall so a little bit of a little bit of stuff everywhere and if you really want to listen to me trying to sound really serious you can find my NPR hit which is kind of like a bucket list mo- <laughs> moment so I did want to drop that in there that I did get to go on NPR yeah and you were on CNN recently too I mean mm-hmm. that's you were kind of the kind of the good what's the uh what did you have to feel like you had to like talk a lot more proper on the NPR head or were you kind of kind of laid back on did that? you do an NPR yeah, yeah. voice yeah yes. you have to be you have to be very serious this is about the Supreme Court ruling against the NCAA <laughs> it was a unanimous decision and it means you know x y and z but yeah no they also make you do it live and they record oh, wow. at 5 a.m eastern so oh. I did wake up at 3 30 to do that so oh my god please listen to that one go find yes. that one yeah definitely <laughs> listen to that one uh <laughs> Nicole, uh, I don't think in that one you dropped a Taylor Swift reference in there. I have been trying to get you to do that on multiple radio and television hits. Well, I know I know one of them has happened. We're going to do it. We're going to do it on Fine Bomb every single time until he catches on. Got an all too well in there last time. So I I feel pretty good about this. Yeah, I think I think we can I I think we can keep that going for sure. Nicole, thank you for your time. Thank you for uh, deciding to talk to two idiots. Uh, thank you for subscribing to the Observer. Uh, it's always it's always good to to get support from from an enemy like like you. So uh, we really do appreciate it. Thank you. I don't know what to do with all the compliments. I thought we were enemies. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll try. All right, Painter and I will be back to wrap it up here shortly. Thank you, Nicole. Yep, anytime. Thank Nicole for her time uh, for coming on uh, our our silly program to talk to us. A lot of lot of lot of ground we were able to cover there, Painter. Yeah, she's good. She's good at her job. You know, I know she's your enemy, but I gotta I gotta tip the cap. 
so we wanted to wrap up here by talking about a couple things from Nicole's interview. But before we do that, Painter, uh, let the folks at home know how they can keep supporting what we've got going on here. Rate, review, subscribe, mash that subscribe button. Help us with the downloads. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, like Nicole Auerbach, who is supporting our program. Thank you to all of you who are also doing that. And y'all be safe on this 4th of July. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wherever you're headed, uh, if you're staying in, if you're going out, be be very, very, very safe. Um, And we also wanted to throw in here at this point, uh, koozies. You've heard about them. We're going to keep talking about them because by the time you're listening to this, you will have a few days left to place your order. we got orders continuing to roll in here uh, early on. $5 per koozie. Uh, if you order multiple up to four of them, just multiples of four, you can do the math there. And we will send those out. Uh, we are making uh, the big order on July the 5th, and then when they come in, we'll be able to send them out to you guys. Um, and so we appreciate you guys uh, signing up for those and, uh, and uh, you know, getting on the order form for him. Um, more kind of general business stuff this week. Uh, mailbag Friday, send in your questions. We recorded this podcast a little earlier in the week. So if there's been some news or stuff happening uh, and we haven't talked about it yet, that's why, but you can ask about it uh, in the mailbag, which will be on Friday and we will have uh, more. We'll have another newsletter up on Thursday by the time you're listening to this as well. All right, painter, I wanted to get to one of the things that Nicole and and we were talking about in this, and it's it's college football playoff or bowl committee person. What which one are we which one are we leaning towards for your future job? Because I think I think we need to flesh out this idea. I like I like where we're, our heads are at uh, here because if we put you on a bowl or we put you in a playoff committee, what you can do now is um, have this money and influence uh, that we can use to uh, to make the observer uh, bigger and stronger. Being on the committee seems fun because surely I could do some under the table deals. But do you think it's easier to be the spokesperson for a bowl? That doesn't seem like a real job. Yeah, the bowl reps are like you'll see them. At, uh, you'll see them in press boxes like it'll be like there are people here from the orange bowl and i used to have a picture i don't know if i still have it um where it's like there was a gator bowl guy in a post-game interview uh just standing in the interview room at at jordan hair the old one uh before the before the renovations and he's wearing this like ugly green jacket and he's just, just standing there drinking a bottle of water and i'm like he just gets paid to fly out and see these games in person right but like even then it's like if you're if you're doing it's like oh we got to know so we can pick the teams or you know i have a relationship or whatever it's like yeah you can just watch tv and determine like rankings are pretty much going to determine who you pick um so i i mean do you think you could handle you know every saturday during college football season getting to travel um you know for work basically to a really good college football game sitting in the press box being taken care of really don't have to do anything or really talk to anybody and then just going back home being wined and dined on the company bill would be nice i like the idea of getting to try the different cuisines and watering holes around the country and if you're telling me i don't even have to bother to talk to people then we really need to lock this up um so if we have this set my, my question to you is what which which bowl are we going with? Like, the who sugar are we trying bowl. To lo- the sugar bowl. Oh yes. Okay. So New Orleans, right? Yes. Um, I need to look up. 
I think the Sugar Bowl guys might have cool jackets as well. Let me let me look let me look this up for you. Um, All right, outside of that one because it's prestigious and they may want me to start small and work my way up the ladder. Where could I go? Because that's the end goal. So there is a New Orleans Bowl. Oh, uh, it, was the, it was the one that I know Troy went to a ton of times when I was growing up uh, because that used to be the one like the only the, the Sun Belt. It was like really the only Sun, the Sun Belt's real only their only tie-in that they got annually was in that one. So they used to send their champion there and they'd play like a conference USA team. Um, so yeah, the new Orleans bowl, maybe and work your way up from there. Um, maybe the Birmingham bowl, uh, try to sign a, 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 an, an Alabama native. I mean, you're very, you're very familiar with Birmingham and, and all it's, and all it's, glory. <laughs> it's wonder and magic. Yeah, you want to tell people, hey, um, at one point you're going to be very disappointed in your season, and at the end you're going to have to play in Legion Field against a team <laughs> that uh, may beat you um, because they're going to be much more energized for this game than you are. Ooh, that was a really apt description. Let's see, what else can we do for you here? Maybe So I don't know how you feel about it, but uh, the Belt Bowl is now the Duke's Mayonnaise Bowl. Yeah. How do you feel yeah. about do you, do you, how do you feel about Duke's Mayonnaise enough to, to – can you sling mayonnaise for people? I do enjoy Duke's. We have some in the Sharpless fridge as we speak. So, yes, not only is that a personal brand I would ride with, but it seems like there's probably not a lot of pressure with the Duke Mayonnaise Bowl. I think they don't take themselves very seriously. Their Twitter account definitely doesn't take itself seriously. Um, it's in Charlotte, too. I don't know your feelings on Charlotte. I lived there for a few months. I enjoyed it. It's a good it's place to It's positive vibes for me, baby. And it seems yeah. to be a place that lots of folks move. One of my best friends, shout out to Ben Eccles, he lived there for a long time. And just two people I lived with recently have moved to Charlotte. So it seems like a blossoming place. And we love yeah. Cam Newton. Apparently they don't, but we do. Yeah, well, I mean, there's you have to be a Sam Darnold guy now. Sorry. Um, yeah, no one wants to do that. Uh, what else? Uh, so Okay, so we have the bowl lineup. Uh, you tweeted while we were recording this, uh, put me on the team. I am willing to fly to Dallas at CFB playoff. All right. So painter gets on the, on the playoff committee. What are you doing in there? Like, what is the agenda? What is, I mean, we know you're there to take advantage of the free food and the free travel and sitting around in a room watching football. And then whatever decision you make is justified because you're, you know, in that job. And unless you're the guy who's going out and talking to the, people on espn you're probably not going to get much criticism for it i'll so, be berating all the other members who are not nearly as smart or competent as me <laughs> i will be ensuring that there are beverages there we're not going to watch these games in a sober state and on top of that all right uh, i'm really looking forward to seeing how i can put the auburn observer at the forefront of all college football advertising yeah that's the thing yeah it's 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 the playoff there how are you are you going to try to are you going to try to like get auburn higher up in the in the in, in the rankings how are we they'll always be what? in the playoff i'm not even worried about where they go they'll just always be in it seven and five season it was the toughest schedule in the country don't worry baby you'll get the 12 spot <laughs> 10 and 2 season which doesn't happen a lot you'll probably be the four seed do, are there any other agendas at play here? Are, are there other schools that are going to get the bump from you, or maybe maybe get a little bit of a, a slide down because of, of because of you? Like, what are we doing? Conferences, coaches, like who who's getting who's getting the love and the hate uh, when you put your put your thumb on the scale of the college football playoff? I respect Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, not so much. 
so, so like Clemson is like Clemson goes fourteen and zero, and then eleven Panthers seed. Like, Panthers like, yeah, they're gonna have to hit the road, man. They play play some tough teams, you know. I, it, yeah, if he always enjoy. wants to sell them as little old Clemson, then we can let them be little old Clemson at the back of the rankings. <laughs> I, I do think that Dabo would love that. I think Dabo, like, he oh, wants to be in the playoff, but yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, they didn't believe in us. And it's like, all right, dude, like, every player on your offense is a five-star, and you beat everyone you played the season by 30. The last um, two quarterbacks you have are two of the best in recent college football history. And the one you got right now might end up being right right in line with him because he was the best in the country coming out of high school. Uh, yeah, uh, Clemson definitely getting the get, – getting the, there um for some reason i believe that you know this might be this might be just speculation on my part but i feel like if there's ever an opportunity to give lsu a home playoff game you're going to try to do it you're going to try oh to my make god that those happen. people deserve it they're crazy uh and then they secondly then secondly if if the aac ever spits out Tulane as a champion i think you're i think you're putting them high up in the rankings yeah we make sure that they host too they but yeah i mean to, to they've that got point, a nice little stadium too they got a yeah. nice little stadium a little on-campus stadium the, the open air one they have now especially if you're a team that's not in the sec that doesn't get to play lsu which would probably be the scenario in the playoff i mean mm-hmm. i know you're going to lose because you're going to have to go play there but it would be a fun place to lose well to an extent, some of my experiences there have been tough to watch the game. But what happens outside of Tiger Stadium, excellent. Yeah, yeah, big fan. Big fan here. I'm looking forward to going back to Baton Rouge. This Even what happens um, there, I have been running, and some of my recent jogs, I've been listening to Neck the, uh, on, on YouTube. <laughs> the, you know, just cannot get more exciting than those crazy Cajuns absolutely letting you know what they think. And sometimes and I, I think if you're an Auburn fan and you're getting, you know, getting just absolutely pushed in by LSU, uh, you could just close your eyes on the sideline and pretend they're cheering you on. Yeah, there you go. That that, that works. Uh, I, I've always thought as well, uh, in addition to Dak, but uh, uh, in for a more um, clean and less explicit uh, tradition that, that, that LSU brings to the table – uh, Colin Baton Rouge is pretty cool. I, I think that whole that whole vibe you get right before kickoff is a lot of fun. Um, While I do so. think Ed Orgeron's time is limited, I do appreciate. I think it was man, during, it's gotten it's getting worse. I think it was Ooh. during their championship run. Maybe it was the year before. I don't remember. Uh, he said that they should allow the fans to have fun with that song, and I especially appreciate that OBJ just takes one for the team and, and says, hey, you guys have got to play this. And, you know, quite frankly, he has the funds to do it, which is all the more impressive. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, I mean, that's the thing. It's like I've always said Auburn, Auburn game day, the, 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 the intensity, the, the pure volume that a stadium that can make like that uh, for a big game, especially a big night game, or maybe even those big 230 CBS games, especially when it gets later in the year, it's not quite as hot. Um, you know, it's it's one of the best you can find in all of college football period, and I think LSU, that is, uh, you know, that is one of those places where you, yeah, it's it, at its peak, it's it, you can't beat it. Um, so I'm looking forward to LSU. I hope I hope Auburn can go down there and and have a good game at against LSU. Nicole was mentioning like you know Harson's first experience at LSU will be will be something to see, and 
Uh, Painter, are you on the record as Auburn beating LSU this year? Or am I, I certainly think am it's I... plausible because right. uh, it's just hard to know what direction LSU is going to go in given the chaotic nature of the locker room last year. I mean, they've got more talent than Auburn. We know this much, and Auburn certainly has had no success there in the last mm-hmm. two decades. But what a monkey it would be to get that off your back if you're Brian Harson. If you get the win over Penn State and LSU – you do everything you Good need gracious, to start. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you start 5-0, and I would think, and you've got all the momentum heading into the rest of the season. Now, you might end up losing the other games like A&M and Georgia and Alabama, but what a way to start the first half of your first season. Plus, Auburn fans would absolutely – I mean, you talk about endearing yourself to the fan base. Yeah. Getting that record, that I mean, my God, okay. two, two decades, getting that off of Auburn fans' back would be nice. Okay. I, so I'm glad you brought this up because this this gave me an idea for a little for a little quick exercise that we can do here at the end. All right, so Auburn plays 12 games in the regular season, as we know. Um, when you talk about like you know, I, I think I'm going to rank them in terms of what this would mean for the fan base if you want it. Right, so like number one, what would be the biggest possible win you could get? Um, whereas, so when you can kind of say expectations or how people deal with the season, it's like okay. Eight and four might hit a little differently for Auburn fans if one of the eight is a win over LSU in Baton Rouge finally, or if one of the eight is a win over Georgia. Um, when you kind of look at that, you know we can kind of run it down here. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say beating Alabama in the Iron Bowl your first season would be the number one. Like that would be the best possible win on the board for Auburn, right? Always, every season, right? But I think LSU is actually a close second given two things. One, it's exceedingly unlikely that you beat Alabama because it's exceedingly unlikely anyone beats Alabama. And two, you've actually beaten Alabama in recent years. You have not done that with LSU. Okay, so here's my question. Who is is ahead? Is Is a road game at LSU sweeter this year for an Auburn fan? And I'm saying this as someone who is not a fan, used to be a fan, and, and, you know, has a lot of connections with fans because this is what I do for a living. But put that's why we have you on here. Part of it is, like, you, I'm putting you in the mind state of a fan here, your perspective. What's sweeter for Auburn this season in 2021? If you beat LSU in Baton Rouge or if you beat Georgia at home, which one? Which one, is, which one would make it, um, you know – I, and you can put it out this way: If Auburn goes eight and four, but can get one of the wins against this team, or nine and three, and one of the wins comes against this team and the other one's not, which one are you picking? Hey, would you rather have the at LSU or a home against Georgia? In terms of, it's a guaranteed win. You're getting it. Just tell me which one would be better for you. It's LSU because it's been so long since you've done it in Baton Rouge. Now I can understand the flip side of the argument, which is that Georgia probably is the better team and wins the East this year. And mm-hmm. let's be clear: I mean. You've won at home a few times, but in the last 15 years, you've had very little success against Georgia. But I think given the streak, the 20 years, you know, the way that Auburn has found itself losing the John Vaughn field goals, the three-score blown lead, uh, Trey Matthews being flipped off of Leonard Fournette's back, like there's just a ton of ways in which you can find that LSU just one win at this point would have been nice. I, I yeah, to me it's it's uh it's that LSU game. Although the more I think about it, what was the last time Auburn won? Two thousand five in Athens. So we're starting to get pretty close to a two decade drought in Athens too. But yeah. for me get, it's you, LSU. You, get, you get, do get Georgia at home this year though, so that's that's a that's that's helpful I guess in this aspect. Um 
So okay, so you're going with two LSU, three Georgia, and, and here and here's here's the question, right? We've been kind of doing a little bit of this recently. If you're listening to this and you have an opinion on this one or another, tweet at us. Tweet at Jay Ferguson and you and at Paint Sharpless. Um, what do you think it would be a sweeter win for Brian Harson in year one? A road win at LSU or a home win against Georgia? One or the other. Tell me which one. Tell us which ones that uh, that you go with. All right. So I would assume Georgia's three then, right? I would assume yes. Georgia would be the three. Yes. Okay. I mean, even though they've gotten a few home wins in the last 15 years, that's it. It's been yep. you know tough sledding. What you had 2010 where you ran mm-hmm. away with the 2013, one of the more exciting games in recent history. But mm-hmm. also you did blow a three-score lead in the fourth quarter in the last 12 minutes. And then 2017, always going to be sort of uh, bittersweet. All right, so here's my next question. At the four spot, four and five, I think there's two games that come to mind here. And I'm interested in hearing which one would be better. What do you think would be better if you're comparing it for what would be a sweeter win for Brian Harson in year one? Beating Texas A&M in College Station after what you you know the loss you had last season and how big and important A&M is getting in the SEC, or going up to Penn State in Week Three and getting the first big win in this first big moment as Auburn's head coach, getting that signature win in Happy Valley in a night game up there with which what should be an insane atmosphere against a team that's very comparable to you in terms of talent and where they are in the in the in the space of college football what is bigger to you what's sweeter to you beating penn state on the road or a&m on the road this year penn state sets brian harson up for all of the right momentum at the beginning of his career at auburn texas a&m would be nice, I think, if you were concerned about Auburn competing in the SEC West as a division champion, but that's not going to happen for Auburn this year. And so because of that, I would be much more excited for Auburn to get that win against Penn State, carry some momentum later on into the LSU game. If you start 5-0, and I mean, what else could you ask for? Maybe some chaos Auburn percolates from that, but for me it's You've got all the eyeballs, I think, on you nationally in that game early in the season, early in Brian Harson's tenure. Give me a win in Happy Valley over Penn State. The Texas A&M game will be there next year. Okay. So I would imagine you would have A&M above the rest of the SEC? Yeah, yeah. I think good, given yeah. given some of the excitement and, and what that game has meant in a few years for Auburn, like in 2013, I think that was a, a monumental win for that team in 2017 they really put some things together like in some of the exciting years Auburn has had good wins against A&M and it has propelled them towards the SEC championship but I think this year given what the goals of the team are which is probably to win eight games given where SP plus projections are if you could get to nine what an awesome season that would be Mm -hmm. I would say put Penn State just behind Georgia and LSU, Alabama every year, right? I mean, you could you could go six and six, and if you somehow manage to get – if one of those yeah. six is against <laughs> Nick Saban and Alabama, Auburn fans will, to some extent, call it a success. And, yes, Alabama fans would say that's the little brother mentality, but that's the nature of the rivalry. All right, so let's sort out the remaining four SEC games. Put them in order, whatever you like it. You've got Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, and South Carolina. Which ones are bigger for you? 
I want to continue beating Ole Miss because I think that they actually are an exciting yeah. team that is tricky, and I think that they're on their way up. Right, and I think that people pay attention simply because of who their coach is. After that, it's South Carolina because revenge. get that revenge. They had no business beating you last season. Mississippi State is last because I think Mississippi okay. State should be losing to Auburn nine times out of ten. Which team am I forgetting about? Arkansas. Yeah, so Arkansas's and, Arkansas's ahead of state, but behind South Carolina. Yeah, and South Carolina is simply just an excusable loss last year. And yeah, uh, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I unfortunately have to place that more often than not in football. You don't, you can't necessarily place something on one person. But that was a tough one for my guy, Bo Nix, and the Arkansas well, and I think game. It was- I think I think also that was a tough game for Auburn's offensive play calling in that one. <laughs> yeah. Considering how the game they went. really wanted to air it out, didn't they? Throw that thing around the yard. Um, and the yeah, Arkansas so, game's interesting because Sam Pittman, you know, he overachieved in year one. What's year two going to look like? And then Auburn yeah. got the break of a lifetime in that game. Speaking of Bo Nix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, all right. And then, you know, 10 through 12, easy. Georgia State, then Akron, then Alabama State. I mean, I'm just doing that, ranking on just on, you know, they're all kind of in the same boat together. But, like, yeah, Bama State, FCS team, Akron, one of the worst teams in uh, FBS. And then Georgia State, a decent Sunbelt team that's had some bowl success recently. And I think they're going to be they're gonna be a game opponent for Auburn for sure. Um, but, yeah, can't can't compare to the SC game. So, all right. Give so me eight wins game. with Penn State and LSU in there, and I'll be – Likely quite content with year one under Brian Harson. Anything above that, and I don't know how you can complain, especially especially if you are simply competitive okay. All right. against a team like Georgia, like cross the 50-yard line and score some touchdowns. All right, so let's game that out, though. Eight and four with wins over LSU and Penn State means you lose to Bama, you lose to Georgia, and then you lose to two of A&M, Ole Miss, South Carolina, Arkansas, and Mississippi State. So I would say A&M and Ole Miss in that, in mm-hmm. that scenario. More than likely, right? Yeah. A&M's... You know, as talented, a little more talented than Auburn and Ole Miss almost did it last year with a first-year coach and a, a less talented roster. Matt Corral is back, so I think it's very mm-hmm. plausible that among those teams, they would be the ones to do it. Now, they do have to come to Auburn this year, so I, I don't know off the top of my head what that looks like, but I don't think Ole Miss has had a ton of success in Jordan-Hare Stadium. All right, what do you think about 9-3? and three? And Auburn loses to Alabama, LSU, and Georgia, and none of those games are particularly close. I suppose beat, beat Penn State though. You beat Penn State, beat Penn State, A&M. And A&M. yeah, and Ole Miss. It would be disappointing not to play a close game against LSU or Georgia, especially mm. LSU, because right. they're going through some flux, and you got Georgia at home. Uh, you know, Alabama being at the end of the year, they'll be firing on all cylinders. They're deep, so even with some injuries where to hit Alabama, it probably doesn't matter that much. You essentially need to be healthy and play your best game of the year just to keep it within probably 10 points, whereas JT Daniels probably a good quarterback, but I don't know. Auburn will catch them earlier in the year, right? So maybe they're not yeah. totally firing on all cylinders. And, and you know, LSU, I just don't know if I believe in Ed Orgeron. Like, he fooled me. I was sort of a doubter, or I was a complete doubter when he went into the LSU job. And then I thought, huh, maybe I really got that one wrong. And then last year with all that talent, I know it was COVID, so you might put an asterisk next to it. But, you know, at some point you got to call a spade a spade. 100%. I'm with you there. All right, last scenario I'm going to throw out to you. Auburn goes 8-4. and four. They lose to Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Penn State. 
don't even say their blowouts are close. They're just four losses, eight and wins. So you beat A&M, Ole Miss, South Carolina, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Georgia State, Akron, and uh, Alabama State. That's to me a good season for Auburn, but it you know you don't get that big. I mean, I guess A and M would be your biggest win in that case. That the sweeter win, a little revenge there from last season. Numbers wise, that's a that's a good year for Auburn, but like that one, I, I think it's just this is where the experiment kicks in. Is just like eight and four, and you lose to A and M, but you trade you trade that for a win over LSU or Georgia or Alabama or Penn State. Even you know it feels differently, right? Yes, and also Auburn fans wanted to get away from four losses, which seems nearly inevitable that they'll have four this year. But Malzahn was able to beat A&M more than he lost to him, if I remember correctly. Yep. So yep. it's harder to get excited about that win simply because it is one that you've been able to achieve. Now, that doesn't mean you should take it for granted, especially because I think A&M at some point this season will spend a few weeks in the top 10, but mm-hmm. given that you had some success recently against them, it does not splash the way a win over Penn State or LSU would. All right. Well, thank you for indulging in this, uh, in this thought exercise painter, because I, I, I find all this very fascinating from a fan's perspective, especially like what, what can you live with? What can make things, you know, what can make a certain record feel better, feel worse? Um, you know, and, and I think a lot of it is just it's not it's not just a group of teams. It's not like the NFL. It's just not a, a list of teams that you just go play. More of them have weight and have feeling because of who they are, you know, where they are, and you know how much how much your team has had success or failure against them in the last few years. And ultimately, this only goes so far. But I will say, Gus could have done himself some favors, and maybe Harson can do this in year one. Again, it only goes so far because you have to win the games eventually. But like, I don't expect that many Auburn fans think they're going to beat Georgia this year. No. But can you simply compete with them? You know, can right. the score be thirty-four to twenty-four? instead of 21 to six and it's like wow you know if you just cross the 50 a few times hit on a few plays like maybe things are different i want to start the season with the bang give yourself some ability to sell that next year's recruiting class if you can go five and oh that's spectacular my god if auburn gets to nine wins i feel like you might have something here yeah no i agree i agree i mean if they get to nine incredible first season i think for brian harson it's just this 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 uh this schedule is a tough one so i think nine is a great season i think eight is a good season and of course not all eight is you know not all eights are created equal in that in that case um but yeah it'll be it'll be it'll be a fascinating uh fascinating tale for sure all right we appreciate you guys listening to this podcast um you know what painter i think i'm making an executive decision right here you ready yes all right, so you're on the road this this upcoming week, um, having a having a well deserved time uh, time away, uh, safe travels for sure, and and it's heading into Fourth of July weekend, right? We you're listening to this on Wednesday or in the midweek, you're part of the inner circle, and you get to hear this, uh, and this one went longer than than most of ours do um, during the midweek, so appreciate that. Uh, on the Fourth of July, since there's not going to be you know, not going to be a, a, a strong demand, I wouldn't think, for podcasts on the 4th of July. 
uh, I think what we're going to do is uh, is just release this out as as a, we're going to unlock it on the free feed on Sunday, um, and then you know we'll be back at it. We'll be back at it in full swing next week. What do you think about that? Excellent. And and just another tease: we will be talking to David Housel soon. Something to give you all. Yep. Uh, something to look forward to. Yep. Next, uh, uh, once Painter comes back from uh, from Illinois, he's getting that uh, he's getting that set up for sure. And uh, we will have our conversation with him, uh, Painter and Painter and uh, Housel. That's to be really interesting. Uh, people need to check out his book as well. Uh, we'll you know we'll talk with him about that uh, in the near future. So uh, give you give you that to chew on. So I uh, appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate you guys in the inner circle for for tuning in. Um, if you're listening to this over the weekend, uh, over Fourth of July weekend, and you're not a part of the inner circle, sign up uh, AuburnObserver.com. Six dollars a month or sixty dollars a year. Uh, you get a bonus podcast uh, on most weeks. And, uh, you know, in the case of this week, you would have been able to hear this conversation with Nicole and uh, this uh, the, the rest of this podcast a few days earlier. Uh, we will be back at it next week in uh, in full swing with, uh, with more newsletters and podcasts back on our regular schedule as we get closer to SEC Media Days and the start of of college football season we are less than 10 weeks away from the opener against akron painter thanks y'all bye bye bye